Welcome to Funding the Future, a special edition of Category Visionaries, where instead of interviewing founders, we interview the VCs and angel investors that back them with capital, resources, and advice. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Samir, founder, CEO, and general partner of Vibranium VC. Samir, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. No problem. So to kick things off, can we just start with a bit more about who you are, your background, and how you made your way into the world of venture? Yeah, thank you. So I've been working with startups for the past 10 years. Um, my team and I, we used to build large acceleration programs in Eastern Europe in CIS, and we've built over 42 programs with largest companies in that region, and over 1,500 startups completed our accelerators. And while doing so, you know, I had a chance to see and help a lot of companies grow from idea stage through their first sales and then scale to global markets. And eventually, me and some of my partners decided to launch a venture fund focused on early stage companies because that's what we really like to work with. And now we are investing in uh, seed stage software companies in Silicon Valley and Bay Area and help them scale globally and, you know, get some more visibility out there. And take me back to when you were, say, 20 years old. Did you ever imagine that you would become an investor and a venture capitalist? Or what was on your mind when you were 20? When I was uh, 20, I actually had the chance to come to the United States and work in you know, different companies. That was my first real corporate job that I took here. And I did not have any idea about venture capitalism or, or even startups because everything was very new. I was still going through my college. I was getting a degree in economy, but at the same time, you know, I didn't think that I will end up uh, investing in startups. So this was a very interesting journey. I, I met so many talented people on the way and they kind of helped me guide into this business. Super cool. Now tell us a bit more about Vibranium. So can you tell us a bit about the fund size, the history and any investments that you've made so far that you can share? Yes, of course. So our fund, we originally started from a, a basic size of $10 million. Right now, we're growing it to $50 million. And we closed 10 deals so far. We've just been active for a year. Uh, we have six portfolio companies, and we invested into three other funds. And we did another follow-in investment in one of our portfolio companies. As I mentioned before, we like investing in B2B SaaS. So anything that can help other businesses or enterprises to be more productive, you know, software wise, then maybe do some sales or marketing software or things in, in fintech and financial services, or even media and entertainment. Things are very interesting to us. So we, we try to be agnostic. We do focus a little over these three, four verticals that I mentioned, but early stage seed companies, when they start getting their revenues and first large customers. Our job basically is to support them with our resources and then help them grow, raise their Series A, and we're happy to follow on all our best companies during Series A as well. When companies are going from seed to Series A, what are some of those common challenges you see them face and, and struggle with? So typically, seed stage companies already have early product market fit, so they already have you know some kind of uh, batch of customers that they're working with, but they don't have full access, let me put it that way, to majority of the market share out there. So the challenges typically they have is the scaling part or building 
a systematic process of marketing and sales. So we try to help with that and, you know, avoid some pitfalls and some mistakes or burning too much resources, too much cash, trying to look for, for those different groups of customers. So we help them focus. A lot of times they don't have focus. So they're trying out different things, different revenue models, et cetera. So that's when, you know, startups typically burn too much resources and uh, run out of money and their runway uh, gets shorter, especially in this period of time when now fundraising is much harder during 2022, a lot of venture funds slow down on their investments. So startups were struggling to get additional resources and even, even bridge rounds to get them through this hard period. So we help, you know, optimize some of the spending. So our portfolio companies, we worked with them through some, you know, consulting work and offered some additional expertise to help them with some kind of, you know, product development and, you know, additional features. But mostly at this stage, you know, it's about how do you proper build your marketing and sales strategy in order to scale to larger portions of the market? And I'm sure over the course of your career, you've seen a lot of pitch decks and you've sat through a lot of pitches. Are there any common mistakes you see founders make when they're pitching you? <laughs> yeah, I've seen, I don't know, maybe over 3,000 pitches if combine everything. Yes. And I've been a judge in a lot of juries and a lot of demo days and a lot of accelerators, including our own. So definitely, yeah, there are some, some common things. One of the important things I would like to mention is that a pitch deck and the pitch presentation itself is just the tip of an iceberg when you start your fundraising journey. So focusing way too much on the pitch itself is probably the biggest mistake that every startup founder is doing in early stage, not being ready to answer some hard questions and not being prepared for the dialogue behind the closed doors with investors. Now, but if you're talking about the pitch itself, I would say being too protective and not receiving the feedback and, you know, arguing a lot with investors and, and jury, uh, that's probably a bad sign because typically investors like to see that a startup founder can receive feedback and can analyze whatever was said and, you know, can fix some of the gray zones or mistakes or, or things that might seem wrong and whatever they're, you know, positioning themselves in the market or their, the way they calculate the market size, et cetera. So it's always good to have an open mind and be receptive of the feedback that you're getting from investors, from the judges, whenever you pitch, because, you know, their best intention is to help you, not to kind of you know, destroy your, your dreams <laughs> or your, you know, your vision, but because of their experience and because they've seen, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pitches before, they typically want to give you some sort of an advice to make you stronger, better, and more investable. And I'm sure over the course of your career, you've interacted with a lot of fascinating founders and very successful founders. From those interactions, do you see any patterns? Like, are there any common traits that these great entrepreneurs seem to have and share? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I love about my job is that on a daily basis, I get to meet amazing, talented very smart people in many sorts. They're smarter than me, you know, whatever they're doing. So I, I love to learn from them. And what I've noticed them all having in common is they're very socially active in most of the cases. They have very high EQ, you know, they have good soft skills. And there are three things that I would outline here. One of the core trades or, you know, strong sides of a good founder is they can manage to hire the best. So they convince other talented people to join their startup, even though they don't have high salaries or don't have 
you know, amazing benefits compared to a large corporation. But somehow they convince these talented people to join their core team in the very beginning because they believe in the dream, like in, in the bigger mission. Uh, the second thing I've noticed they do is they tend to sell to the best. So if you have like a B2B startup and you're trying to go for, for enterprise businesses, some of these founders manage to to get letters of intent and support, you know, even uh, get, get pilots with very big companies, which is difficult, uh, you know, from my past experience. And the third thing I've noticed they do very well is they can raise money from the best, starting with some amazing angels or super angels that they're raising from on the pre-seed stage. Then they go into their seed stage fundraising and they tackle, you know, the tier one funds and they convince those, those VCs to believe in them, in their dream and how they're going to change the world. So those are the things that successful founders are doing very well. And all of those things are connected to other people. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. When it comes to category creation, what are your views there? If a founder comes to you and says, Mir, I'm creating a totally new category. What would your typical response be and how do you help them navigate that decision? So there is a concept of the red ocean and blue ocean. We know all about it, right? The red ocean is where there's a lot of sharks and not enough fish and uh, meaning there's so much competition out there. And the blue ocean is typically when you create a category or, or, or something new. You know, I personally love new things, innovative business models, innovative technologies, but there's always a struggle or a hardship connected to that. Basically, you have to educate your market. You have to educate your customer that whatever you're building or doing is something better, more efficient, more interesting, you know, cheaper, whatever the qualities of your product are. So it's always connected to the situation where the very first company that is creating the category gets the hardest work, right? So basically going through the jungle, you know, chopping down the trees, you know, paving the way for everybody else to go. And we've seen, you know, a few times in our in our history of, of IT and tech market where the very first company that created a search engine or the very first company that created a social network, they were not eventually the champion. So there's always this challenge, you know, when you create a category, if you do all the hard work by convincing, you know, people and the customers that this is something they should start using, then there might be a rival right behind you that will have an easier way. And if they're lucky enough to raise money quickly, you know, to have a better, stronger go-to-market strategy, you might lose that battle. So you have to be prepared not only to uh, pave the way, but also to kind of go faster than anybody else and have this first mover advantage in the market. So if you can pull this off, then you can definitely be the champion. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you hear a lot too, is this narrative that you know Silicon Valley is dying or the death of Silicon Valley, founders are leaving, investors are leaving. That's what you read in the media. That's what you read on Twitter. What's your perspective there? Do you think that's true? Do you think we're really seeing the decline of Silicon Valley or is it going to come back stronger than ever? I say numbers, numbers will fight that, that opinion because we still see that majority, absolute majority of all the venture deals 
are happening in Silicon Valley. Yes, there is some kind of a movement of people going towards, let's say, Austin, Texas. I hear some people saying, hey, we want to move there. You know, there's a nice new ecosystem. I've been to Austin. It's, it's a great place. There's a lot of amazing people, but it's still a very early ecosystem. You know, when it comes to global startup world and other countries, all of them want to come to Silicon Valley. It's still, you know, when we're locally are uh, talking here, of course, we have these different opinions about how Silicon Valley is different now from what it was a few years ago and how COVID affected everything. But we have to always think about markets beyond the United States because Silicon Valley is the place, it's the magnet where everybody from around the world wants to come and wants to settle. So all the best, all the top startups from Africa, from many region, from Asia, from Europe, uh, you name it, from LATAM, all of them are thinking and dreaming about one day coming to Silicon Valley and raising money here from investors. It's very rare that they would say, okay, you know, I want to move to Colorado or I want to move to Austin or something else. They all know Silicon Valley. So it's not only the local startups that are creating this and shaping this market. Now, when we look at statistics, I don't know, almost half of the you know, big companies that are raising capital here are founded by, by immigrants, by people who moved to the United States, moved to Bay Area, moved to Silicon Valley. You know, I moved to San Francisco about a year and a half ago. And when I did that, everyone I knew thought I was insane. They're like, what are you, what are you thinking? Who's moving there now? Everyone's moving out. And I have to say it was the best decision I ever made. Like the density of talent and investors and founders that are all, you know, just right here within like a five minute walking distance from me. It's just mind blowing. I think that's the thing that you can't beat is that density and the volume and the fact that there's, you know, thousands and thousands of fascinating and interesting people to meet. I think it's such a special and, and very magical place. Absolutely. That's what makes uh, Silicon Valley and SF area uh, special and unique is, you know, the amount of talented people and the density, as you mentioned, not only founders, but also the investors. I mean, we're talking about, you know, over, over a thousand uh, different size and shape funds and angel groups, et cetera, that are active here. And we go to these different events. Me and my team, you know, last year we calculated We've, from May to December, we visited 126 events, you know, to, wow. to meet other founders, to meet other investors, et cetera. So, and we didn't visit all of them, right? We, we were handpicking <laughs> where we want to go. And so this is the reality that, you know, if you want to kind of be out there and get yourself, you know, visible in front of investors, et cetera, this is the place to be, you know, because there's so many activities happening, all of these amazing acceleration programs, you know, the top tier accelerators that have these demo days, all these networking events. Uh, recently, we had San Francisco Tech Week, one of the largest SaaS events, you know, SaaS annual is coming up. So all of these events are, are amazing. And people from around the world, they come here, you know, just to spend a few days inside of this ecosystem. And final couple of questions for you here. If any founders are listening in, I think it'd be great to hear from you the types of opportunities that you're especially excited about. So are there any specific markets that you're just really looking to back right now or any specific opportunities that you're really excited about and founders building that should reach out? Well, of course, we're looking at different trends and what's going on right now. You know, AI, of course, is the hottest topic. Everybody's talking about it, but it all depends on what kind of AI, right? If somebody's just using a chat GPT next to their technology, this is a, a third party dependency. But whenever it comes to, to trends or to hype things, we try to kind of follow it, but we don't necessarily invest in them. So that's why we stick with the SaaS market. 
we see it as still, you know, it's growing 18 to 20% a year. Even in uh, hard times, corporations and enterprises, they don't really cut their spending on software. So software will be growing. If you have a software, but now you can add AI to it, that's something that investors are looking for, no matter what vertical it is. So as long as you can prove that your product is needed by the market and there is a paying customer for it, and you can manage to, to scale quickly, this is something that venture investors are looking for. But for us, you know, SaaS and software market and B2B is something that we stick to. And we believe that this is a, a very, very stable and growing market and opportunity for investors. And if founders are listening in and want to get in touch, where's the best place for them to go? The best place to get information about us is our website is vibranium.vc. Also, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. You know, we post uh, some useful things for startups, you know, about pitching, about uh, dialogues with investors, et cetera. So I'm always happy to connect. Uh, yeah, send me an invitation and let's start the conversation. Amazing. Samir, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, share your perspective and share some of these really valuable insights that you've learned through the course of your career. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I know founders listening in are going to enjoy it as well. So thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Brad. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 